Warning, this episode of Dub Talk contains discussion regarding highly sensitive subject matter, including violence, sexual assault, and rape. Listener discretion is highly advised. Listen now and listen well. A message that is urgent. For evil walks upon this land, and he has come to purge it. Tiny demons run in fear while spewing vile curses, and goblin shamans shout out spoils contained within their verses. Opinions of him vary widely, his critics quite selective, for though his methods may be crude, they are nonetheless effective. So children, kneel before your beds, and bow your heads in prayer, for evil creatures can't escape the wrath of Goblin Slayer. <laughs> Hello fellow adventurers, welcome one and welcome all to another exciting episode of Dub Talk, the podcast where a bunch of wizards and warriors come together, go on on great adventures, slay some monsters, and if there's any time left, we talk about the latest and greatest in English anime dubs. I'm your dungeon master for this evening, Spaceman Hardy, and tonight we are joined by three of my fellow adventurers. First off, we have Paladin Jamal. Onward to victory! Yes. We have Ogre Knight Roots of Justice. Get out of my swamp, donkey! Oh, (laughs) (laughs) And last and certainly least, we have Dwarf Bard No Clue. Um, oh, that was... Okay, you know what? Fine, fine. You know what? Just for that, I'm pulling out a Weird Al song. (laughs) No, please. Everything you know is wrong. Just sing the words and sing a lot. Aw, why are you smashing my guitar? (laughs) Anyways, uh, the... Gentlemen, the tomatoes! Anyways, as you no doubt know, the four of us have gathered together not to play a rousing game of Dungeons and Dragons, but instead to discuss a dub of a show from actually this is the one year anniversary of its debut uh, came out on October 6, 2018 uh, to some rather controversial opinions. I speak, of course, about the English dub for goblin slayer and you all thought we were never gonna touch this thing but here we are i mean if we i I gotta be honest here people when he said this i advocated that we just talk about the movie labyrinth i mean that's got goblins that we can you know have no controversy about but uh no he Mm -hmm. said um we should uh dive into this and i gotta be honest i was surprised once uh getting past the initial episode so i am glad hardy that you recommended this for our halloween episode Oh yes! Uh, oh, that's right. Going uh, off up. <laughs> we we should probably say Absolute. that. You like my costume? You look like a Keebler elf. God damn it, Hardy! <laughs> but then again, you always look like a Keebler elf. You promised me no short jokes. You promised it. That's it. No no cheese for Hardy. Not a scrap. 
Uh, anyways, uh, going Shouldn't by plot summary. Shouldn't you be offering him cookies? <laughs> you gonna bring him ice cream too? Oh. <laughs> at the ver- at the yeah. very least. All right, yes, I'm, make it sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hardy. Go ahead. All right. Uh, going for a plot summary of the show. A young priestess has formed her first adventuring party, but almost immediately they find themselves in distress. It's the goblin slayer who comes to their rescue, a man who's dedicated his life to the extermination of all goblins by any means necessary. And when rumors of his feats begin to circulate, there's no telling who might come calling next. So basically, premise behind the show is the so-called gods of this world are basically a bunch of D&D players. And most of the things that happen um, to the characters in the show are are supposed to be controlled by the dice. And we have this one character who doesn't fit in with your typical uh, D&D scenario. Uh, When we say that he's dedicated his life to slaying goblins, I mean he is literally obsessed with goblins. Like goblin stew, fried goblin... The whole show is like one giant final destination for goblins. Like, he finds mm-hmm. the most creative ways to dispatch them. Yeah, and they, they don't go down easy either. This is not, like, the show goes to great pains to show just how viciously they have to be killed. Because a lot of times, they'll pretend that they're dead, but then they'll do a surprise attack. So, um, right. th- for the, yeah, warning for the squeamish if you want to watch the show. It is very bloody. Mm-hmm. Not only and, very uh, bloody, at certain moments very uncomfortable too. But we'll get more to that yeah. later. Right, right. We'll we'll address the elephant in the room near the end of the episode. But moving on. So basically, what we have, we have a cast of characters who don't even have names. They're mainly just archetypes. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about. Yeah, for some reason, the show decided we could think up like medieval sounding names. We could decide to make up names. But we won't do that. Let's just let's do the Phantom Menace thing where we will just refer to them by their title, by their job, or by what they look like. What? I know, well, right? You're, you're going to have to explain that reference there, Noah. Because even I'm one. Yeah, because I... Yeah, I've seen the Phantom Menace. Okay, so. in Phantom. Okay, in Phantom Menace, the, the characterization in the movie, like the joke for the past 20 years has been... Can you describe the characters outside of what their job is or what they look like? Because most of the time you can't. Okay, fair. So, like, for instance, there's a character in the show called ADR director and scriptwriter for some reason. Like, what's up with that, Hardy? Well, yes, there are ADRs. There actually are ADR director and scriptwriters. Believe it or not. That have names. Go yes. figure. Yes, they do. They do have names. For our ADR director, we have Heidi Curtis. And for our scriptwriters, we have Jeremy Kratz and Bonnie Clinkenbeard. I think uh, it was uh, Bonnie had only done um, writing for episode five, was it? Yes, episode five. And Jeremy did the rest of it. All right. So who wants to roll the dice first? Uh, let's see here. If I had an actual dice, I could actually... Oh, oh, dude. Wait, I got some. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. I got... Uh, here we go. I got a box of Yahtzee in my closet. Here we go. Here we go. I got to roll some dice for the audio here. All right. All right. Uh, As the dungeon master, I will go last. Okay. So 
going first, uh, think of a number. Uh, let's see. Uh, it says 12 here. So according to my chart, that is roots. All right. Okay. Um, One more. Yeah, I'm going to admit that this, um, in terms of the direction, it seemed a little lopsided. Um, there were good performances, for the most part, scattered about, but I don't want to say they were weak. They were just ones I didn't quite understand, you know, the... The ones I, I didn't really particularly like, there were some weird accents thrown around every once in a while that just felt a little out of place in the world, and um, and I mean, in terms of casting, I actually do have to give a lot of respect for this, for giving a lot of actors who have been working with Funimation for years, but haven't had the opportunity to actually get, like, big main character roles and, you know, when they did it would be, like, every now and again, but I I really appreciate that the Goblin Slayer dub went out of its way to get sort of actors like I said, who have been around for a little bit and just haven't had a chance to rise up so, yeah, people whose names you might not have recognized before as starring before, but they have been bit parts in shows before, right? Right. Yeah, um, I can agree with that. I I do kind of wonder if that's because a lot of the, the bigger-named actors were sort of scared away from the show in the, uh, in the first episode, but I, I do have to... I do have to respect that in the later episodes, uh, these actors managed to really get into it with their characters and develop them, you know, sort of like a person playing D&D. Like, that's... I, I just thought of that analogy while I was talking here right now, and, like, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a simulcast, right? So they were yeah, gradually increasing in their talent as they were going along. Yeah. And not only that, but it, you know, like a D&D campaign, you play it over a series of several weeks and you get to know your character a little better. So, yeah, that's a really good analogy. But, good. um... Script writing was actually, like perfectly okay it this is one of those dark fantasy epic anime and there's only so much i can say that it got the job done of conveying the character's emotions while at the same time not falling into the sort of ye old english trappings that like a medieval era anime sometimes fall into so I I'm a little shaky on this one but I'm hoping that the uh that the folks involved get some <clears throat> Sorry, let me let me start that over. Um I am sort of hoping that the uh that the director involved gets some more 
you know, get some get some more shows in to direct because I think, you know, they're to be entrusted with a show like Goblin Slayer, especially considering stuff like the first episode where things get really uncomfortable. Like, that's that's sort of a badge of trust, and I hope the uh, the director gets a gets some more shows. Maybe not quite as challenging in the same way of Goblin Slayer, but you know. I mean, I would yeah. hope that they wouldn't that the reputation wouldn't build for that for this you know this writing and directing staff to simply be saddled with the more problematic shows every season. Like if there's a a titty time show or a heavy violent show or anything like that. It's like, oh, let's just get the same group that did Goblin Slayer every no. single time. But I mean, at the same time, like there are, there are also going to be shows coming along that have a little more moral complexity to them. And, you know, I, yeah. I think our director has proved themselves capable of such a show. All right. Uh, next on the dice, Noah, what do you got? So, this is, uh, like you said, Roots, a very dark fantasy kind of show, and definitely one that wears its Dungeons and Dragons, um, and also its Lord of the Rings pedigree firmly on itself. There are, I mean, the goblins in the show are basically just orcs. There is a character dynamic that is essentially the same thing as Gimli and Legolas from Lord of the Rings. And there's even little references to it throughout the show. Like, there's a there, there's an episode called There and Back Again, which, if you don't know, is the subtitle for The Hobbit. So, going, so understanding that, the direction on the show is a bit flat at times. Um, when it has to be... When characters have to be terrified, or they have banter back and forth, they're usually pretty good. There's a lot of good ones that I'll point out as we go along. But in scenes where they have to be more emotional like emotionally sincere especially near the finale you get some flatness you you do get some scenes where i don't quite believe the characters are are scared or as speechless or as whatever their emotion is supposed to be and that's just because the show is a very tough tightrope to walk in terms of it's at times a bit of a power fantasy with one big bad motherfucker going through and slaying goblins in tons of ketchup while at the same time trying to have a sympathetic backstory and all the characters trying to understand him a little bit more. So the direction is not the best, but it is comp- It is enough that I could recommend the dub over the sub, which I think is a key thing to keep in mind. More props definitely to the writing, because there's a lot of lingo in this show, and you could tell it was based on a light novel, because in the first couple of episodes, there are just whole scenes of characters sitting around in the guild, in the Adventurer's Guild, uh, describing things like this is how platinum you get to be a platinum rank or these are the 10 was well, i think there are 10 yeah there's 10 different kinds of adventures you can be first is porcelain the highest is silver and you work your way up uh they talk about the world they, they talk about this uh demon king who's going on in the background and the writing does really well jeremy and bonnie handle the lingo really well it's easy to understand with lots of exposition it's very theatrical in the way they write it i feel like uh the the uh, characters are just kind of like actors in a play sitting around on a stage and having dialogue with each other and the thing that i want to bring the most attention to is the way that the dub adapts some of the word choices um the dub uses the word play thing a whole lot 
and uses kind of softer terms for more vile things that the goblins do to characters. Um, and that, that word keeps getting used up. They, they refer to the goblins as victims as playthings or toys a lot. And I think that was a good choice. Like the show doesn't want to have like an R rating in the language area and because it makes it more palpable. So for, for writing, pretty good job on this. It, it's one of the better D&D inspired shows I've seen, which uh, is all of three I think I've seen. Yeah, I've seen about three or four D&D inspired shows in anime. All right, Jamal. Okay, so get right into it. Uh, I found the scripts to be very good, very straightforward. I know Jeremy Kratz can uh, can uh, write a fantasy very well because I know in real life he's also a writer too, if you can believe it. So he's no problem handling stuff like science fiction or dark fantasy such as this. I, I did find that the post was very straightforward, save for maybe two characters we're going to talk about but but everything yeah everything you could definitely tell easily that this was based on a DD campaign because well certain aspects of the show we'll get into later but i do feel that when it came to the characters the casting everybody filled out the roles very well the archetypes basically so some maybe more than others and I appreciate what Heidi did with her directing because it, it's a mix of actors you've seen before but in smaller roles, uh, actors you don't see as often, newer talent and talent that's long been around but is underutilized and I I really kind of appreciate it. I, I don't, I think really the only flaws I kind of have with the show is maybe a couple of the... Maybe a couple of the lights. I know two of them are kind of coming from uh, the Elf Archer because for some reason I heard a Matthew McConaughey reference, but I guess that was maybe a little improvising on the spot. We don't know. All I all I do know is, I mean, really what the show has going for is the characters because everything else, it, it doesn't really feel up to par to me is kind of like, you know, your typical adventuring anime, that kind of thing. I mean, it's like we said, it's based on a D&D campaign. And with D&D campaigns, they just pretty much, no pun intended, roll the dice and just go with it. As a few of us have learned from a certain trip to A-Fest, but one thing, I mean, it kind of makes sense because the subtitle for this, I think, you know, it's common to say is he who does not roll the dice, I think it is. He does not let anyone roll the dice. There it is. So when you see that dice imagery, it kind of makes sense because, you know, he's pretty much taking all these risks and stuff. But we'll get more to him later. But I think for the moment right now, I think everybody was very solid. Even even some of the smaller names you don't expect. But I kind of have to disagree with you, Roots, about some people that I don't want to touch this show. Because I think the way the casting went about it, I think maybe for the wallet they gathered up like people who wanted to be in the show or had enough free time and maybe do some things. Because at some point, I've heard Rico Fajardo and Clifford Chapin in the background. Hell, I've heard, I've heard Jeremy and Anthony just duke it out against each other, too, but... How how can you pick out them in the wall? Well, for one thing, 
the voices are very well, the volume of the voices are very forwarding. Like I could I could like pick them out instantly, so Oh okay. Alright. There was, like, a bit of wall I noticed in the last episode where someone was very clearly saying, like, oh, yeah, you're going to want to put a Band-Aid on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I think it's pretty much all I have to say. Dungeon Master? Uh, Jamal, yes, sir. I, I, I gotta, I'm sorry, I got to say, Jamal, you say that the, the, the elf person made a Matthew McConaughey reference? Yes. So, can we get, can we get a, a, a redub here where the elf character is saying, high school girls... I get older, they stay the same age. Oh, for God. <laughs> Actually, no, that'd be the opposite, wouldn't it? Because the elf character exactly. doesn't age. Huh. I guess that doesn't work. I'm sorry. All right, Here, all I'm right. Done. Let's move on to Spaceman Hardy. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the same points you have to make. Um, writing is very solid. I didn't feel like there were any lines that did not belong. Um Directing wise, it's not a perfect dub. There were a few characters and lines that did feel flat at times, but overall, the end product is 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 definitely listenable. And um, and, and as you, I agree, as the show goes on, the characters, the actors fit into their their roles much much better. And towards the end, you can see a most definite improvement in the overall quality. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I agree. I hope this director gets to work on more shows, and uh, and with a show such as this under their name, uh, I hope they get to expand on their their uh, their resume. Resume, yeah, yes. All right. So, moving on from our ADR and script, we are heading off into not actually a character, but we are going into our narrator for this show. And there's really no description for the narrator. Uh, The narrator is voiced by Jessica Peterson. So, uh, you at first roots. What what do you think? Honestly... I think she did a pretty good job as a narrator. There, I mean, unfortunately, this isn't David Walden, Mr. Tonagawa, where every time he speaks, he steals the show. This is well. Well, I mean, who is? Touché. This is not. Uh... Yeah. Although this... I think Ian Sinclair from How we, How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Live could could have given him a run for his money. I was going to say, if this True. show, if it, Ian had been the narrator for the show in that same style, it would have a very different tone for the show. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm imagining, I'm just imagining now the characters show up in the guild and the narrator says, girl, you hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but in any Ooh. case, uh, the point I was trying to make is like, this is as, as like a proper narrator who's not, supposed to be a proper character in the show uh the the role is meant to be a little more low-key yeah and, um, she gets the information that needs to be conveyed conveyed accurately um god it's it's really hard to describe the the narrator but um i I, it does feel a bit storybooky, which you know, 
considering the narrator, that's a good thing. So I, I guess that's my thoughts on the narrator of Goblin Slayer and Jessica Peterson playing that role. Mm-hmm. All right. Noah, your turn is up next. Thank you. Uh, you're right, Roots. This is It's not a, a personality-heavy uh, role. It's a character that is supposed to just uh, convey the uh, we-are-just-play-things-to-the-gods mentality. But the thing that uh, came out to me, and it's interesting that I wrote this note down before I knew that we were actually going to be talking about the narrator, because this is just how strongly it stood out to me as we were watching it. Have any of you guys seen the Ralph Bakshi movie Wizards? It's been it's been yeah. forever. Nope. Nope. In fact, I watched change that. I watched it on your stream, Noah. Oh, that's oh yeah, I remember you were um yeah, I showed that back in 2011, even for the I don't know how it's been a while. But the reason I bring that up is because at the beginning of the movie Wizards, which is this movie that is also kind of D&D based cuz it takes place in a medieval kind of post-apocalyptic setting, um the the narrator at the beginning of it kind of describes how the world got to be the way it was. And that narrator was played very well by Susan Tyrell. And the opening narrator for uh, Goblin Slayer almost felt like an homage to that opening, the way that it describes the uh, the way that the gods got bored of their play games. They, they split up the world into different creatures, and now we are all just play things to the gods. And that's, that's a very terrible impression. But the way that Jessica portrays that narration is very fitting for the sort of the grand uh, setting of the show. Like the show has some silly moments, too, but it goes back to seriousness when it needs to. And so for that, I say a good job on that. I don't know if it was an intentional homage to the opening of Wizards, but whatever it was, it's definitely tapped into that same um, fascination with fantasy that Bakshi was interested in. All right, uh, Jamal. Yeah, I think the thing about the narrator is the narrators try to demonstrate the world building of the show, and I think it's at that point you realize the show is not about the world building, it's about the characters themselves. And Jessica Peterson, while she, she has a very good narrator voice, the Writing kind of felt a little awkward to me, like, I mean, I haven't heard narration this winter's Divine Gate, and the less said about that show, the better, but, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird, that narration, though, but... I think, I feel, didn't you reference Divine Gate uh, when we recorded the, um, uh, How Heavy Are the Dumbbells You Lift episode? No. I feel like you're rep- like I forget what it was, but I feel like Divine Gate keeps cu- keeps getting brought up for some reason. Well, I kind of need the basis of comparison. I mean, Jessica did a pretty good job. It's just that the show itself didn't give her much to work with. Because if you couldn't figure out from the dice imagery, you could tell at least from the two episodes of the first half that this was ba- pretty much based on D and D. Even the even the visuals they show, it looks like. It was kind of like a D&D kind of world, too. But only, like, the last episode does she give... I guess give a little more backstory to Goblin Slayer, besides the other characters, you know? But you're right, it is kind of a low-key kind of thing. Like, it's not a priority, but, you know, Jessica did well with what she had to work with. Right. 
And so, yeah, you basically have, uh, you all have said what my thoughts are. It's, it's a narrator position. I mean, you have basically two types of narrators. You have ones who are completely straight, and then you have what you see in shows like, uh, like Mr. Tonagawa or Dumbbells, where uh, the narrator's lot not really narrating. He's just more or less commenting on what he's seeing. Um, and, uh, and this was not a show that needed that. This is a show that just needs to say what, carry out the exposition that it needs to. And I, I, did, I did like Jessica's performance, how it has some sort of an otherworldly sound to it, very storybookish and, um, and, uh, and, and, and plain, but uh, it, it, it does what it needs to do, and it does it fairly well. So that's, that's really all I have to say. Um, so let's move on to our first four adventurers. We have two pairs. Let me go ahead and roll the dice on this one. Okay, yep, uh, let's do those characters. Okay, dope. We have two pairs of adventurers. Uh, one of the, one couple is more uh, experienced, uh, and uh, we have a pair of newbies as well. We have, these are our character names. <clears throat> I'm not making this up. We have Spearman and Witch. <laughs> Relax. Spearman. And four. Spearman does whatever a spear can. Oh, f- yeah. Shoots a spear. Any size. Stabs a goblin. Any size. Look out. He's like, he's a lancer who doesn't die. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, you know this that too, Hardy? Oh. Hardy. Hardy. You know this that too? Yep. I just realized that this morning. Oh no, Hardy, no! I mean, from the armor right down to his ponytail, it's just like that, sir. Dude, Megan's gonna send you to Suplex City! Uh, In that case, I'm glad he said it, not me. Right. Okay, well, anyways, we have Spearman and Witch. Spearman is basically, he's basically a Lancer from Fate Stay Night. Thankfully, he avoids most of their fate. Um, he's very cocky and arrogant, and uh, he, he has a big mouth, but he can back it up with his skills, as we find out. And then we have Witch, who is a, uh, well, that's what she is. Uh, very, very uh, sultry, very, very... Um, how, what's the word? Uh, can, can I make a reference to uh, to uh, a bridge series, please? Sure. All right, I'm going to reference the uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh! Bonds Beyond Time movie or bridge where uh, he, uh, was it? Come on out, dark magician girl with really big boobies. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah, she's a very sultry, sensuous character who uh, talks real slow and likes to use her assets to her advantage. Uh, but she also is very skilled. Uh, with magic and uh, helps our heroes out a few times. Then we have our other pair of adventurers who are a couple of newbies, and these are their names. I'm not making this up. <clears throat> we have Greenhorn Warrior and Apprentice Cleric. And the, like I said, these are two brand new adventurers in over their heads, uh, but thankfully they come out at times to get help from either the Goblin Slayer or the others. And uh, thankfully, they have a whole... Their fates are much, much better than the three adventures in episode one, which we are not talking about. And so playing these characters, 
playing Spearman, we have Kyle Ignacy. Playing Witch, we have Amanda Gish. Playing Greenhorn, we have Matt Shipman. And playing the Cleric, we have Sarah Wiedenheft. So, Roots, you went first last two. Let's take another turn. All right. Um, I gotta say, I really like Kyle Ignacy's Spearman. Like, mm. he gets he gets character off, like, incredibly haughty, completely arrogant, but like Hardy said, he definitely does have the skills to back up his words. Uh, mm -hmm. What rank was he? I, I want to say he was at least silver like Goblin Slayer. I think I think he is silver. Yeah. Yeah, I think we don't see any gold other than another character later down the line, but everyone else is silver. Okay. But yeah, considering like the first rank is like porcelain and then you like one of the highest ranks reached in the course of the show is silver, like he definitely has the kind of skills necessary to like back up his arrogance, so and in particular, I happen to really like uh, Kyle's performance in episode 12, I want to say. Mm -hmm. With the uh, with the raid on the farmhouse. Because he more or less, during the course of the battle, sheds that arrogance and actually pr proves himself to be a very formidable fighter. Yeah, takes the champion down by himself. Mm-hmm. Should have um, gotten paid more gold for that. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I'm not a particular fan of the accent Amanda Gish used for the witch. Like, there was something in the back of it, like some sort of foreign European-ish. I, no. I couldn't make it out. Like, well, no, it, it is. It's um, because it's you know, it's not a typical American accent. I, I haven't met any American who talks like this. It, it's definitely a more um, lower, slower, right. subdued kind of voice. Yeah, like, I don't know if I call it European. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, but um, I'm kind of curious to know how it sounded in the Japanese because I, I have not seen up to where the witch shows up in the um, in the subtitled version. I've seen, like, an episode or two of that. But, um... I don't know. It just seemed a little odd. And it, it stuck out in the course of the show where... I don't know. It... There's a... Um, Roots, have you ever seen um, the show Mushishi? I've seen a little bit of Mushishi, yeah. Do you remember what the narrator sounded like in that show? Mm, vaguely. Okay, I. That's. I think that's a little closer to what Amanda was trying to go for. That's uh, Anastasio Munez's voice, and it uses that very. Again, it's sultrier and it's lower, and it's not quite like Colleen Clinkenbeard level low, but it is otherworldly. Is the best way I think I could describe what Amanda was going for. Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that. But, um, like, overall, the performance itself was good. I just, 
I guess I wasn't a fan of the of the choice of voice used for for the performance. And I mean, talking about Matt Shipman and Sarah Whedon have like they were absolutely adorable in this show, which is a weird thing to say about a show like Goblin Slayer. He just wanted to get his sword back. Like, like his whole story arc is just going back to a dungeon that he completely beefed it in to get his sword back because it's too expensive to buy a new one. And it's it's absolutely hilarious. And um, I do like those slower episodes. There, there's a couple episodes that break from the arc and just kind of show you what the day to day life is like in this world. I, I like episodes that do shows that have episodes like that. Yeah. But the uh, Matt Shipman and Sarah Whedon have were absolutely pitch perfect comic relief for the show, which it desperately needed that palate cleanse every couple of episodes. Mm hmm. So, yeah, uh, I do want to say I definitely hope uh, Amanda Gish gets more roles over the course of her career at Funimation or beyond. But um, overall, this was more or less a solid group of characters and performances. Uh, Noah, take your turn. All right, let me uh, roll the dice on this one more time. Um, I, got, I got a nine. All right, I'll keep this to nine seconds. No. I, I'll agree that um, uh, Amanda, Amanda Gish's uh, performance is definitely the standout in terms of ones that sounded a, a bit odd because, and it, it's not in the, the acting so much, it's the way that she was directed because there are parts where she stretches out the words very long like this. I think that might be my problem with it. It, it. it fits in some scenes. Like when we first meet her, she's kind of expositing to the priestess about uh, the Goblin Slayer's personality a little bit. And that fits a little bit there because she, we don't know much about her. In the fight, though, like if she's in the fight, like from back here, I can use repel magic. It's like this is an intense bloody battle here put a like shouldn't you be feeling like scared or something and it, the problem really and I, I point this more in the fact that none of the, this character doesn't have any backstory uh we don't know we don't have like an idea about like how did she get to be a witch where's her homeland what kind of a tree would she be if she was a tree what's her wand made of what's in that candle does she like take long walks on the beaches we don't know anything about that so for some characters where we get an inkling of their personality through their backstory amanda just had to go off of the character design and the japanese seiyu so it, it's definitely a weak link in terms of the show and i i do not think that just uh, pulling a candle out of your cleavage is enough to be a character personality, but I, I do understand why that character is there because she has very big a big use in the final battle. All the uh, magicians do. I don't know what that sound is in the background. You okay? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Okay. Trim that part out. Um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, Matt and Sarah, um, like you were saying, Roots, I agree. They're, they're a good contrast with each other. They're uh, In any other show, I feel like these two would have actually been like the main characters. 
uh, as we kind of like watch them go from Greenhorn and Apprentice to, which by the way, that must have been a pain in the ass to write in school. Like, can you imagine your first day of school having to write out, what's your name? Greenhorn Warrior. <laughs> like, <laughs> awful parents, just, just the worst. Uh, but yeah, Matt and Sarah uh, get the, the lightheartedness of their characters where we, we at first may think that they may die. Luckily, they don't die. But they do uh, convey that this world does have its dangers. And you do have to go through some trials to get to the higher adventure ranks. And it's nice to see them work off of each other to achieve their goal. And at the end, it is really satisfying to watch Matt just absolutely decimate a goblin near the end of the battle. Um, the, the one that really stood out to me of this group in terms of like, huh, was actually Kyle because, and this is just what popped in my head when I was watching it. Is he trying to be John Mulaney? What? Huh? You know, the comedian John Mulaney. Yeah, got, I know, like, I know who, who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I just listening to this and like, I've heard Kyle in shows before, you know, but listening to this, it's like he was trying to put on the affectation of a comedian, almost, like like a stand-up comedian. And that's more in, uh, not so much in the final battle. In the final battle, he goes back into his more uh, normal uh, heroic voice. But in those episodes where he's uh, he's like berating Goblin Slayer because he doesn't recognize him without his helmet on, or he's um, kind of like talking up, um, talking up himself, you know, being all haughty. He he kind of like came off in the sort of like. I paid $120,000 to my college, and you have the gall to ask for more money? Like, that, again, that's a terrible impression, but that's just what came to mind, so I don't know. And you spent it already! <laughs> <laughs> I, I full props to him, because, like you were saying, Roots, it's nice to have a palate cleanser of, like, some comedic moments to break up the the more intense scenes. And it, it, I guess it, it may endured me to Spearman just a little bit because it's like, he's so arrogant and full of himself. I can't hate him entirely. He's, he's like Ryan Gosling's character in the big short. It's like, would I buy a car from this guy? No, but you know, I, he's so full of himself. I kind of respect him for it. That's all I got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamal, it's your turn. I, uh, for me, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with the stuff you said about Kyle. Because for me, Kyle, he kind of fills the Dave Trosco void. But at the same time, he can also break your expectations too. Like, he can also do his own thing as well. And I actually found that Spearman kind of helped to differentiate from that. And it's pretty much more or less out of his wheelhouse now that I think about it. Because anytime you hear Kyle, you, you automatically either mistake him for Dave or, you know, you're just wondering who... Who's this swath show off I hear? Like, but Kyle did a very good job as Spearman. Like, I'm not used to arrogant asshole characters, but I did find him kind of endearing, especially in the last couple episodes. So it's amazing how even when drunk, he couldn't even recognize the face because, like, he's because he's pretty much I think the only person who's ever seen Goblin Slayer's face before. Yet he could not remember it the last episode. <laughs> I swear, I've seen that guy before somewhere. God, you were so drunk off his ass. Uh, Amanda Gish, I've been wanting to talk about Amanda Gish for a while, ever since, like, Hells and so on. I've seen the stuff she does, and she does a pretty good job. I am going to have to disagree with y'all, because the thing about The Witch is this, 
for what I understood when it was first simultaneous, uh, apparently in the Japanese, the character had the same same speech patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Amanda kind of so had to match that, which is why it sounds a little out of place. But also, it sounded more to me like a Cajun type of accent. Like, I wonder if she's from the South Side. Because the thing about the witch is, she's not only, she's not only very adept with magic, she's also a seductress too. So, have a lower sultry tone to that voice. It's like, ooh. <laughs> you okay there, Jamal? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I just love I just love the voice she took to it very much. It's like, you know, it's like you can listen to her all day long and not get tired of her. I mean, and you can tell, and you can tell the character. She's kind of having fun with the character too, especially when the character teases a Green Horde Warrior by pulling out that candle. Yeah. Maybe I can uh, give you something. You could hold on. It, it's stuck in here. Hold on, I gotta jiggle around a little bit. Oh, and I'm stuck. Like, hold on. Uh, give me. Oh, uh, uh, there we go. Got it out. I like to stick my candle with it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, moving on. Uh, Matt and Sarah's the warrior cleric, respectively. Yeah, they they were very charming. I mean, I guess in every type of show, you kind of need something to break the tension a little. You know, you got a couple of bubbling characters here and there. Because I know that was the same way in uh, Robins with uh, Saito and Stephen Fu. Because... As series of that show could be at times like you just kind of need something to break the tension up. To the point, even those two had an episode or so where uh, Match tried to get his sword back because it's so expensive and he doesn't know how to retrieve it. So he asked the Goblin Slayer for help, which I think not only builds up Goblin Slayer's characterization a bit, but I think it also kind of helps us to establish the, I guess, the character building among these archetypes. Cause you can definitely tell the warrior was a green horn if you if you don't know what to do, you have to turn to somebody's advice. Also, in the last episode, I think at one point he almost gambled away the earnings, tried to see who would win in a drink a drinking contest. That was and, like uh, the third to last episode. You sure? Cause what was that the third? the drinking? Oh, oh the, yeah, yeah. But between yeah. Um, between her and him. Yeah, it was between the, the final between battle. the, yeah. Okay, that's right. And yeah, Sarah is the cleric. You know, I guess she has to be the voice of reason between the two. It works very well because you know when you get to hear Sarah use her natural voice a lot. Because that is actually her natural voice, by the way. And the fact that she has to be rational with this guy who doesn't really have much of a clue on how to be Vetrix. Except, you know, the basics. The two have to stick together. And I think they kind of balance each other out very well. I mean, they, other than that one episode and maybe bits here and there, they don't get a lot of screen time. And, but it's, what, it's whatever, you know what I mean? Cajun accent, though. That's interesting. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah, Cajun kind of Creole. I'm wondering if she's... From like Louisiana or somewhere in the south, you know. That that's interesting. Yeah. Anyways, um, 
As for my personal thoughts, uh, basically just mirror what you guys have been saying. Um, Amanda Gish is probably my least favorite out of these four. I don't know what it is about it. It's just... And the way you described it, Noah, kind of made it sound like Henry from Black Clover, how he talks. What is going on right now? But Henry sounds like a stoda, though. Well, what is she doing when we always see the witch? Smoking. Smoking! She got that good, good cush, man. She got the good cush. Tobacco is not stronger than weed, okay? She got the good cush and the good tush. I I have never seen anyone uh, blow... you know, it could be tobacco. It could, but I'm willing to bet that she's uh, got something a little stronger in that pipe. Anyways, um, but I mean, it's not offensive or anything like that. I just, it kind of seemed like, it just kind of sounded off to me. It stuck um, out. Yeah, it did stick out, and I don't know. I don't I really mean, think there was an accent to it. I think it just sounded a bit, bit more, a little bit haughty, like you know, people. Oh, who she's are, a hottie, um, all right. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. it did stick out to you for a couple of reasons. Ow, my eye. <laughs> but anyways, uh, and yeah, Kyle Ignacy is really fun as the sword man. Um, and, uh, and Max and Sarah are just perfect. Uh, what are they? Um, I suck with words tonight. They are a welcome, well, distra- a welcome distraction from all the doom and gloom that the show represents. Yeah. All right, so let us turn the page in our role-playing book. Uh, I got this time. All right, no, okay, come on. Come on, lucky seven. All right, ten. All right. And I think we're, we can next... agree that these three are a ten out of ten. Mm, yes. We have three female characters who are all of various importance to the, the series, two of whom are not adventurers. And one of whom is a retired adventurer and has become the Archbishop. We have, and okay, you've got to promise not to laugh when I say this. I, okay, okay, I'll try. All right. Serving as our childhood best friend and potential love interest to the main character, we have Cowgirl. Mm. <laughs> Bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a I'm cow. I'm sorry, Bitch, I couldn't I'm resist. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, ser- serving as the... <laughs> yeah. Also following up, the girl who tends to the guild, whose name is Guild Girl. A.K.A. Best Girl. Right. And we have, we have a legendary uh, adventurer who is actually gold, or the only gold adventurer that we see in this show. Uh, sword maiden. Uh, she has a, of course, a tragic backstory where she was mistreated by goblins, and as a result, has very poor vision. So she usually wears a blindfold almost all the time. Anyways, uh, cowgirl is voiced by Brittany Lotta. Guild girl is voiced by Sarah Ragsdale, and sword maiden is voiced by Meg McLean. So, Roots, you start us off. Take your turn. Yeah, I um, I like this group quite a bit. Um, I think um, 
Brittany Lotta did a really good job as sort of the, you know, it's more or less the best friend archetype who, like, may or may not be harboring actual feelings for Goblin Slayer, which, actually, now that I think about it, it more or less became more implicit as the show went on. Right. But, um... I, I think she did a really good job. Did she also play Cowgirl as a child? Yes. yes. Okay. Because I, I think that was also really well done. Um, I gotta say, though, it... <laughs> uh, my favorite of the three is probably Guild Girl. Yeah, yeah. Because, holy shit, she gets the retail smile very very well but um like she gets that sort of you know the the retail smile is kind of a hard thing to describe but you know it is it like that gif where you just smiling on the outside but you're screaming internally a bit yeah it's basically the you're trying to be as cordial as as you can to a to a customer, but at the same time, like you're like, holy crap, this person is speaking just this absolute vile garbage to me. Like, but I need to be polite so that I don't get fired. Kind of. Yeah, I've been there before. Although, in my case, it usually involves a few F-words. Well, yeah. But I guess, yeah. The customer's the, always right, though. I guess, yeah, the screaming internally is a good analogy. But she... I want to say it was episode five or six, where she's dealing with the, uh, with the newbie who wants to join the guild. Mm-hmm. That, that Goblin Slayer had to... Uh, had to attend the um, the interview for just as a witness. <laughs> like that was that was one of actually one of my favorite scenes of the whole show. Just that one individual scene of Guild Girl and a priestess and Goblin Slayer just in the room with this complete shit of a kid. Who wanted to uh, who wanted to join the guild, but it was secretly taking armor and goods from the treasure and not sharing it. And he's just being a little goober about it, and just like it, it was a really good performance. And I don't, I guess. What I'm about to say is probably better saved after I talk about um, Sword Maiden a little bit. Where it wasn't my favorite of the three performances. I think Meg McClain did a good job with what she was given. But the character really didn't do too, too much over the course of the show. So I, I don't have much in the way of an opinion. She... Sword Maiden is a very straightforward character whose purpose in the show was more or less to just convey information to 
Goblin Slayer's party while she was there. And also, kind of act a little lovelorn toward Goblin Slayer, I guess. Mm. Which brings me to the point I was about to bring up with Guild Girl, that the, um, the sort of harem-ish kind of dynamic with all three of the characters we talked about like that seemed a little weird to me just how they all got the hots for him yeah i mean more or less a guy who wears a helmet like all the time i get cowgirl because childhood friend she's known him for years but like the other two basically just know him as a goblin slayer and just, this isn't a, a knock on the on the dub. It's more a knock on the show itself. I got a little uncomfortable where when uh, Sword Maiden was talking about her backstory, and the camera would just pan to her thighs and breasts like a lot. That that is not uh, like that's that, that not is a, a scene where you want to fan service it up, and they. Kind of did. Well, requesting permission to talk about something slightly heavier. Um, why don't we save that for final thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Because I'm I'm gonna pass it off to you. I'm. I've said my piece, but yeah, let's save. Let's save our talk for that for final thoughts. Fair enough. That's because this these three characters do, well, two of them kind of elicit a little more discussion about. The, um, the kind of tropes that this show unfortunately falls into. Um, and I think that's a good reason for us to talk about this show and um, for us to really critically analyze anything we talk about because a lot of times shows will have things and tropes in it that maybe they don't quite question why they're doing it. Um, for instance, let's have a, a redhead cowgirl best friend character with very large tracts of land. A cowgirl has nice udders. I- <laughs> It's and, and yes, there are women out there who have very large breasts, but the show chose to make that a, fe- a, a feature of her character design. And as far as the actual acting, it's the closest we get to Moe. Uh, Brittany Lauda's got this very enthusiastic, higher pitch, uh, contrasted with the other adventure characters that we meet. So, yeah, it's the closest we get to Moe. Unfortunately... While she's really good on the chipper, hyper parts, uh, like you were saying, Roots, with her flashback where she was very enthusiastic about getting to go into town and I'd like to buy you a gift. When she has to have her more emotional, darker scenes, like especially in episode 11, there are, and she's told to run because the goblins are coming. I didn't quite buy some of her line reads. Like when she says, like, you're kidding, right? Like the way she says it, I didn't quite buy it because it's, so it's a little too flat for my liking. And that, that may just, again, come to the direction of the show has some mood swings when it comes to how serious the show is. So, um, very good on the peppy sides, but as far as Cowgirl's more emotional parts of it, some of it just felt a little flat to me. What did not fall flat to me, though, was uh, Sarah Ragsdale's performance as Guild Girl. I pegged her as the best girl from, like, episode two onwards, and I was proven right. By the end of the show, she is the best girl. She's got the most, uh, more natural voice compared to all the other characters, and it, it really is kind of tied to that, um, like, her personality is just geared towards 
helping everyone with her job, which is to give them quests. She has to manage the quests being given out or um, take assignments from people who want to hire adventurers. And she's just got this very natural voice to her. Like, I just love Sarah Ragsdale and pretty much everything I've heard her in. Um, I'm really, uh, uh, really uh, glad that uh, even though she does fawn over Goblin Slayer quite a bit, it doesn't define her personality. Like, there are parts where she's kind of blushing a little bit because she's being called out for her crush on uh, Goblin Slayer, but that's not her whole reason for being there. There are shows like Konosuba that have these guild girl type characters that don't get a whole lot of presence here, but Sarah really makes a good go of uh, guild girls. But can we give these characters names already? No, we can't do that. Just giving her a lot of personality just from the, the way that she's got natural pep in her voice, and it's a lot of fun to listen to. Jumping on over to uh, Meg McLean, it's a it's an archetypal uh, motherly kind of voice. She's got very full, powerful sounds when she's speaking, and that, but then she does have to flutter between being a leader who's, um, like, she impresses everyone at first because she can tell uh, that how many people are in the room without with her eyes being covered, basically. But then she has to uh, get very broken up uh, in her final episode when she's kind of talking about why she did the thing that she did with her familiar and the goblins that... I'm, I'm, that's just a terrible backstory in itself. Not, not not like terribly written. Just you know, it's it's very sad. It's very tragic. And yes, you do feel for that. But as far as the actual acting goes, it fits with the character archetype. But like you said, Roots, uh, she doesn't have as much of a presence because she doesn't do too much herself. Like she's important as a ploy to get the characters into the dungeons of water. Is it called Water Village? Water World? Water Town? Water Town? Water Town? Thank you. Um, the Watertown, the world's greatest water park in the Middle World, in the Middle Ages. Um, as far as that goes, like she fills the role very well. It's not dynamic, but it's not detrimental either. It's just it's a solid seven out of ten. Jamal, in the interest of my own safety, I will refrain from any and all milkmaid jokes. Uh... <laughs> Dude, not not. You're in our podcast. You can't. There is no further down to go. I'd rather not have certain people calling me out in particular, because I just wanted to say I really enjoyed Brittany Lauder's cowgirl, and I thought I really liked the tone she takes with her when you see her at current age. Her voice does have it is kind of trippy. but it has like a little pep to her. Uh, but she does, she does have, like, some worrying moments. I think pretty much she's trying to part brave face because as her uncle pointed out to her, like, she, like, he knows that, uh, Goblin Slayer is, like, pretty much lost it. It's not the same person she grew up with. And she's just ignoring the fact, which I can understand, you know what I mean? Like, when you, when you have someone who is as traumatized and you've kind of been traumatized yourself, you... Well, you'd want to have to pay the way at times. I mean, nobody can really unpack all that baggage, you know what I mean? Just keeps going and going and going. And I, especially, like, when she played the younger version of herself, because I'm very used to her voice at this point. I, I can pretty much almost pick her out of the crowd, much like Megan did the Aethers. But, uh, but she, she, I didn't really have... Any problems with her, unlike the two of y'all, I thought she did very well. 
Silvax still is good, good. I've been I've been wanting to talk about Silvax still for a while. I think because so I know sometimes like especially in some of the later shows, later shows she said her voice has kind of this sing song kind of quality depending on it, and I I really kind of enjoyed it. Like girl, girl, you know she ha- you obviously she has to think for Goblin Slave. You could tell. And the way she kind of has to portray that is like, you know, like, she's just going about being her usual self. While at the same time, you know, yeah, she does have a customer service kind of voice, but it's not like it's very frustrating to her, like, what she has to deal with. Or at the very least, what she kind of shows us, because, you know, it's again, she kind of puts on a brave face. It's not like... She's like, oh my god, I can't stand this. Thank, thank you for helping me out. No, not, not like that. Like, you know, she's upbeat even even when she's letting down her guard, pretty much. <laughs> but the way but the way she owed that kid who was pretty much a pain in the ass with Goblin Slayer's observer, it's like oh, that scene was fantastic. Like but yeah. I can't for me. Oh, well, I'll get to that later. And uh, Meg McLean is sword maiden. I'll be honest, when I first saw this character art, I actually thought like maybe there was a time skip or something. I thought that was Priestess. Because the, the colors kind of look the same between the two. But when I learned more about the character, I mean, I can't say Meg's... Meg McClay's performance was kind of weak because her voice is not something that I'm used to. Like, I always saw her in one other show before this, so I can't really make a judgment on her. And yeah, she's only in this for two episodes, and you don't get as much of a backstory as you do some of the major characters. But for what it's worth, I think I think she did okay with what she was given. And uh, the uh, trauma, I'm putting it in air quotes because... There were some things like she was a bit uncomfortable talking about, and the other things like she talks about with Goblin Slayer that like you kind of wonder like was this really kind of necessary? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But I thought she did a, a pretty good job, and I can't really choose best girl because I think that in my opinion, like they're all best girls, it's like. I guess it comes down to actually no no don't even don't even pick if you don't want to like everybody did their job very well everybody did their role very well that's all I have to say. Um, Noah, I kind of have to disagree with you about Cowgirl because I actually really enjoyed Brittany's more emotional parts near the end. Yeah, honestly, I I I don't that didn't sound flat to me or at all, and. Uh, in fact, that's probably she of these three. She's easily my favorite uh, performance in the show because I think she brings like this sort of really genuine uh, genuineness to Cowgirl as a uh, as a character. Um, Guild Girl, I like as a character. Uh, Sarah Ragsdale's voice is still it's still taking me a little bit to get used to it. I think she's a, a good actress, and I think that she hits all the acting points right but it's it's the, there's something about the voice that um i don't know i, I don't want to say it rubs me the wrong way but it doesn't it's just it's taking me some time to get used to and i've heard her a few other things and and did you uh, it's the same way there 
So did you hear? Did you watch uh, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid? I did. Okay. That mm-hmm. same uh, same reaction to that. Who was she in? She in was Kobayashi. the she was Kana's best friend, the other elementary school girl who had the lesbian hots for Kana. Oh right, right. Yeah, that. Um, I haven't. Re- I need to re- go back and rewatch that dub. I don't remember too terrible much about it. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, and as far as Meg McLean as Swordmane goes, it's she played the role for this character, this character who is important but not too important or memorable, mm-hmm. and uh, really didn't stand out that much, to be perfectly honest, in comparison. So, um, not the most glowing golden reviews I have for these but actresses, but uh, but they did they did a fairly good job. Yeah. All things considered, yeah. All right, let us move on to our first set of main adventurers. Yes, all right, I got, come on, 12. Okay, I rolled two dice. How did I get one? Shh. <laughs> 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 one. Yeah. That's weird. Snake, you got snake eyes, which is, which is appropriate considering one of our characters has something in common with those. We have a trio of adventurers who hunt down Goblin Slayer and convince him to join them on a few of their quests. Uh, first of all, we have the Dwarf Shaman. He is 136 years old. I believe that's the number. He's over 100 years old. Uh, he loves his fire water and he loves making fun at the elf's expense. Uh, we have High Elf Archer. She is 2,000 years old. She is an expert archer and does not have very much upstairs in the uh, chest department. And finally, <laughs> finally, we have Lizard Man Priest who loves him some cheese and wishes to become a dragon someday. Or as I like to call, Boraicho Kitada Nightwolf. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, playing Dwarf Shaman, we have Barry Yandel. Playing High Elf Archer, we have Mallory Rodak. And playing Lizardman Priest, we have Josh Bangle. So, Roots, what do you think of our tri- our, what do you think of our three stooges here? <laughs> I like that, three stooges. And w- which one would you pick for your starter? Uh, I, um... Sorry, I'm just taking a sec to collect my thoughts. Um, I'm going to start with Mallory Rodak. Because, um, like, I really... Like, I appreciate that there is at least one character in the in the set of women of Goblin Slayer who doesn't necessarily have the hots for Goblin Slayer. Mm-hmm. Or... At least until later. At some point, feelings for, but... She's more I... career-focused. <laughs> there we go. It It's platonic. There we go. That's even better. I, um... I like the fact that she's a bit of a hothead. And she is willing to speak her mind with uh, Dwarf Shaman and Lizardman Priest... And she's, you know, she's willing to, I guess, argue with them and 
haggle them and, you know, just kind of bullshit with them. And, um, also Barry Yandel as the dwarf shaman, like, was also really good. And I gotta say, like, I like the, um, I like the chance that dwarf shaman does to activate his magic. Which I guess is like all earth elemental spells and then stuff he can do with his alcohol. Yeah, this guy rocks. Like he he is a badass with with magic, and I like that. I like that Barry Andell sort of plays him as the cantankerous old man. Like. He's not necessarily wise, but um, but he's a good time. And um, one particular scene I really like between uh, Mallory Rodak and Barry Andell is the aforementioned drinking scene, where they are competing one against one another to get absolutely hammered, and people are betting against them. Yeah. I, th I think the guy who wrote this had been watching Raiders of the Lost Ark before he wrote this. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Um, but as much as I have been gloating... Uh, sorry, let me try that again. As much as I've been glowing about these two, it's Josh Bengal as the Lizardman Priest that takes it for me of this group. Like, he... Is, really? It's one of my favorite performances of the show. Um, he is sort of the straight man to the rest of the group. He helps resolve conflicts. He's an incredibly strong fighter. And he loves cheese and milk and ice cream. And ice cream. That that was a great revelation. Like That, that little part about how he never had dairy-based products because his people don't uh, don't cultivate animals for, you know, their milk. They they just eat them. Right. But it's just this big old lizard man getting moe over dairy. <laughs> and, like, Josh Bengal really nailed that. Like, he, he gives Lizard Man Priest a very big and strong voice. But then, like completely melts it away when he's offered a wheel of cheese or ice cream. It, it's just this beautiful thing. I'm going to pass it on to Noah, because I think I've said my piece on the matter. I'm, I'm going to reference uh, an old uh, cheese commercial, and all it was was uh, there was a, a little girl who uh, got a lot of presents from Santa, and the dad's like, that must have been some cookies you left him. And the girl says, I didn't leave him cookies. I left him cheese. <laughs> so uh, let, let it be known that uh, Lizard Man Priest is Santa. <laughs> wow. It's canon now. Hunk of cheese. <laughs> That's all I took from the show. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, let me talk about um, Josh Pankle's Lizard Man. Because... Um, his design, the Lizard Man Priest design, has a, a almost Native American design to it. But I didn't notice that until uh, a couple of episodes into the dub, because I, I was listening to Josh's performance of it, and he kind of gives uh, the Lizard Man 
uh, a Native American voice to him. Like, if you've seen, like, it, it's not G.I. Joe, what's that character name? Sparrowhawk, I think. Like, it's not that stereotypical, but it's the very, it's like the, kind of the gruffer, more reserved Native American voice that you hear in better adaptations of it. And, like, I feel like that was trying to uh, connect with the, like, the headdress that the Lizard Man has, because he's supposed to be kind of estranged from his people and using the kind of magic that uh, the rest of the cast doesn't really uh, have any connection to, because it's very dis- unique to his people. So that that was a nice touch. Like, it's very... I, I have to give a lot of props when a character can... Or, not sorry, an actor can convey uh, an element of the character entirely through their voice. So very good job on Josh. And yes, I do agree that his, his, his pursuit of cheese was one of the best parts of the show. Um... And switching over to um, to uh, Mallory for a bit, she's kind of on the more grown woman side of the spectrum. Like, I, I think I can safely say, having finished the whole show, that none of the women sound exactly the same as each other. Actually, none of the men do, for that matter, which is good, because in an ensemble show like this, you want all your characters to sound unique from each other. And Mallory's character, like, the, the elf has the traditional Sundari design to it. Let it be said, Lucky Star was telling the truth that said, if you've got pigtails, you are probably a Sundari, as does this character. But she's not, uh, like, that's not entirely her personality trait. Like, she's very, um, like, she's very good with her weapon. She can hold her own in banter. And she's, again, she's very reliable when they have their, uh, their big battles with the hordes of goblins in both Watertown and uh, in the final episodes. Um, and so giving um, giving the elf girl more of a, a grown woman side to her uh, kind of helps to give the sense that she's, you know, she's 2,000 years old, so she's an adult, but she's not quite a, a completely grown woman yet. Like, she's still growing into her own. And even when she gets flustered, she never loses her cool. Like, she's more driven than she is upset. And in that, like, I, I haven't really, I don't think I've heard Mallory in anything before. Like, I should really go back and check her credits. But I would be uh, very pleased to hear her in some more things coming up. Watch Yamato. What's that? Watch Yamato. Yamato 2199. Ah. Okay, I've got a list here that's called Things That People Have Recommended Me. All right, let me add Yamato 2021. Okay. Um, in this DMV, you guys are number... 78. Okay. I'll get back to you in a couple of years. <laughs> when your children graduate college, maybe. Oh, yes. Yeah, my backlog will never end. It will never end for anyone. That's what keeps us going. Speaking of keeping us going, I have a, I have a confession to make. Barry Yondell has been around for a very long time, right? Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, in all of the shows I've seen... This is really the first time I noticed him as a as a voice. Like if I've heard him in something before, I don't remember him in, the, in it at all. And which is a shame because he's got such a unique voice. He's got like this kind of goofier, older voice with a slight gruffness to it. It's kind of like a more of a southern accent compared to some of the other characters which, you know, he's trying to convey the race of the dwarf people. And like I said uh, before, that Gimli Legolas dynamic is entirely what dwarf shaman and elf archers dynamic is like. Like they banter with each other, but at the end of the day, it's you know, never thought I'd die fighting by an elf. What about fighting with a friend? Like that kind of daw friendship that they have. And Barry really sells the 
like he's he's more for the goofy uh, comedic interpretation. Even when they're in dire situations, he's never uh, like he never sounds like he's uh, super serious, and I mean that in a good way. I mean like he never loses his composure. He never gets frustrated by stuff. He's very uh, like he's uh, very reliable in what he does, and I do like uh, his spells, especially using the fire wine. Like that is that entire um, was it like he puts them all to sleep. He puts all the goblins to sleep by by spewing fire wine at them. Like that that is a wine that is to be tasted. We, we the four of us will go drinking after this episode to find that fire wine. Just Oh no, I saw what happened to Matt Shipman in the last episode. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. <laughs> what about what if we just kept going back and forth until one of us passed out? You mean like my my nightly tradition? <laughs> <laughs> my, my cup's almost empty <laughs> but yeah for all three of these they, they sound distinct from each other they play off of each other very well and I yeah I got nothing but good things to say really mm-hmm. uh, Jamal take it away hey start with Bayardo for the last year and a half I've been hearing Bayardo some pretty good stuff to the point I can actually pick him out now like you're right though he does have a very unique voice it's, it, it's like as impressive he hasn't been in a in a major role like this until now. I, I don't know why. I mean, like he's very he, obviously he's very good at what he does. I mean, I think he also teaches voice acting on the side. I think I, I'd have to look that up, but <laughs> but he's having a heck of a time as this little dwarf. And I thought I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Mallory's the elf. I'm, it's, it's weird. Usually when I hear Mallory, she has kind of this air of arrogance in her voice. But then after the last year or so, it's like, she's just enjoying herself. Like, I really like the the way she portrays the elf archer, like, to the point that uh, when we were at A-Fest, I actually got a side autograph picture of the elf archer. Because I, I enjoyed the character so much. Especially when, like, in her drunk moments too, it's like when when she can when she's free when she's freely able to speak her mind, it's kind of amazing what you can hear. Because I know, like, at one point, she, I said earlier there was a Matthew McConaughey reference. At one point, I heard the episode just her going, "All right, all right, all right." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I'm sure that was totally in the Japanese. And uh, another uh, another line that caught my attention when they were in the cave labyrinths. And uh, I guess she was getting tired of Goblin Slayer's tactics to uh, avoid attracting attention from the Goblin. She says, don't be ridiculous, I'm a ranger. And I was like, gee, I wonder why that caught my attention, for another reason. But yeah, moving on, Josh Bangor's Elizabeth Priest. I've only ever heard him in two other roles, one I may be talking about at a later date. He has this very distinct voice and this very distinct prose. I guess the way they chose to portray him up, because, you know, he's a, a lizard mad priest. It was very unique, but it came off as very natural, too. And I, I like how not only he had those the dialogue, but how he had those his reactions very well. To, even the simplest of things, it doesn't exist in his life. Like, Roots, I'm glad, like, you listed off milk products. Like, we got, like, milk, milk in this section. I'm afraid to talk about lemonade later on, but <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that Roots or Ahmad? 
That sounded like Armand for a second. <laughs> Dang it, Armand. What, what are you doing here? Armand cameo, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it did take some while getting used to because, like, like Miss McLean, I've only ever heard Josh in maybe one or two other roles before this, but when it did settle in, it, it came out very impressive, and I wish I hear more from him. So, my turn? Yeah. All right. Noah. Uh-oh. Yes, sir. You, my good buddy. You made this. I'm trying not to laugh. You made the reference to Lizard Man kind of sounding like a Native American. And now I can't help but hear him as John Redcorn from King of the Hill. <laughs> How? How? <laughs> How, Hardy? I don't know. <laughs> uh, if this show, if this podcast, we have to hear, we have to hear the lizard man saying, "There's a hole in my pocket where my money should go." My big mountain fudge cake. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Glad, glad to have brought Western cartoons into this anime podcast. Uh, oh, anyways, um, yeah. Uh, among these three, the Lizard Man is probably the hardest sell for me. Yeah. Because he is very, very deadpan. And when you have a deadpan character like this, it can sound like they're just reading from the script. And But I think in the Lizard Man's case, it works because he isn't one to show off his emotions unless he enjoys something like cheese. He's very down-to-earth, very straightforward, and um, almost has kind of a militaristic approach with his uh, his line reads. And so I, I think Josh is, is kind of the, of the three, he's kind of the hardest sell, but at the end of the day, I think he does it really well. Um, and Barry Yondell is just a treat as this ornery little dwarf who likes him some drink and... Uh, and he's just, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's a lot of fun to play off of Elf and uh, and and his little quips against her. And, well, I never, I never suspected I'd fight against such a flat-chested Elf. Oh, <laughs> nice. But, uh, but yeah, but actually the reason why I wanted to talk about this dub in general is because I think this might be my favorite Mallory Rodak role ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, because like you said, she hasn't really gotten a chance to play a lot of high-energy characters up to this point. Usually when they have Mallory, they're sort of, you know, more uh, tame and more elegant and more um, or more dark and, and sort of have this, this autocracy, not autocracy, but this... this significance among their voice. The elf is just kind of a troll. Really? <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. No, she's got, despite being 2,000 years old, she's got the most youthful attitude of them all. And she's, she, it's it's fun listening to uh, Mallory do her, do a shot as sort of this Sundere archer. So... <laughs> Kind of reminds me when we were at Fest and uh, we watched the Dungeon Booth live, and she kept saying, "I want to kill the High Elf." And I'm like, "But you play one in an anime." 
So, anyways, that's what I have to say about these three. Um, taking our next turn, we are moving on to our female lead. We have the Priestess. She is a young, brand new adventurer, complete newbie. Um, she only has a handful of spells at her disposal. But in the first episode, she tries to go and team up with a group of also complete rookies and take on to what they assume will be an easy payday, which is cleaning out a goblin cave. Mm -mm. Things do not go well at all. Her, uh, her adventurers either get killed or worse, and she is saved at the last minute by the Goblin Slayer. Afterwards, she starts working with him almost exclusively as sort of his backup and uh, companion. So, who we have playing the Priestess is Hayden Davio. Uh, Roots, what did you think of this performance? Yeah, I um, I actually really liked it. Um, Hayden got across um, the priestess's kind of naivete of just how adventuring works really well, and um, like the priestess's first outing, like really goes horribly wrong because. Her party underestimates the capabilities of the goblins. And, uh, when she ends up getting saved and decides to follow Goblin Slayer, uh, again, she... She's kind of naive through the course of the series, pretty much up until the end, considering, and, um... I gotta say, she got one of the most satisfying kills in the show, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. At the very oh, end. yeah. By, by... Actually, you know what? I'm not gonna spoil how she does it. It just happens in the last episode of the show, and it is... If you enjoy the character at all, that is incredibly satisfying to watch her do. Mm-hmm. But I like that she, um, I particularly like that she is very friendly toward Goblin Slayer, and it's not entirely, it's not entirely shown that she has particular feelings for him, because, again, as I keep saying over and over, she's a bit naive about things. And that seems to be her primary character trait. And, you know, it's... That kind of thing can be played to very, shall we say, not good ends. But I mm. think... I think the show of Goblin Slayer portrays the priestess well. And I think Hayden does a very good job at portraying the priestess. I'm done. Okay. Uh, Noah, it's your turn. As we mentioned at the beginning, there are a lot of actors and actresses in this dub that may have been around Funimation for a while, but haven't had uh, starring bits before. I believe this is the first time I've heard Hayden in anything before. And uh, it honestly 
Uh, took me a while to figure out kind of what she was going for, but that, that's to be expected with a show that, uh, as they're dubbing it episode by episode, they themselves are trying to figure out what the show is going for. And she, because she starts out, uh, her voice feels a little pitched up, like it's pitched <coughs> up to a bit of a falsetto. Um, which is suitably timid sounding because, you know, we follow her journey from the very beginning. She starts at Porcelain Rank. She groups up with our people, gets absolutely decimated in one of, like, the absolute worst ways that you could as a beginner. And we, we watch her journey as she goes through becoming more confident, building her skill. And I do like the fact that uh, her skills aren't bad. Like, they're, like, I kind of was afraid that it would go the route of, um, like kind of like Konosuba where like she doesn't have any skill and she's just kind of a hindrance to the party but about halfway through the show she's proven that she's very good at casting the spells she has. They're very powerful, they're unbreakable and though they may be limited to a number, of, just a few of them a day, when th- they use them very well. So Hayden definitely, she maintains the same tone throughout like she never quite loses that falsetto pitch that's a little more pitched up um, I don't know what her normal speaking voice is like, but it, you know, it's a little higher than a uh, regular tenor. But it's fitting for the character because she's supposed to be uh, a priestess who is a more like more pure, uh, more less gruff than some of the other characters, even some of the other female characters. And you are right, Roots, about how her her finale, like the way that she, like again, I'm not gonna spoil what happens, but the, I do really like that the finale of the whole show is really well built up. Sometimes shows will have a finale where the finale just kind of comes out of nowhere, but this show builds up to what was coming. Like, it built up every episode that there could be a goblin attack on the whole town, and then we finally get it, and then all the characters who we've been seeing off to the sidelines all come into the foreplay. Everything that's been building up throughout the whole show, and especially what Priestess gets to do at the end there, is incredibly well built up. And Hayden does a good job on acting. It's really, like, I feel the confidence in her voice that she's attained throughout the the misadventures of Goblin Slayer that we've been seeing. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more of those adventures, because there, there is a movie coming out. So who knows what other misadventures we will get to see Priestess get into. Jamal, would you like to go? Uh, yeah, uh... Well, I have a confession to make. The uh, reason I wanted to jump in on this episode was because of Priestess. Because the thing about Hayden Davio is this. I I would admit, this is probably like her first major lead role. And I and I really, I really wanted to see like what she could do. I would admit, there were times in the first episode the falsetto was... A little unsettling, but that's because I'm not used to her voice. Like, this is the first thing I ever heard her in, really. Mm-hmm. But I do think her pitch is was actually pretty impressive. And by the way, no, if you want a natural speaking voice, listen, or go watch either Seiko Sad or Percy Jackson audio drama on YouTube. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, basically, like. <sighs> what's the. As far as I can tell, her age is very impressive because for basis of comparison, I'm watching her in another show right now, uh, Miss Caretaker of Tsunohara or so, and she has a very high pitch in that show too, to the point I actually thought that was Don Bennett, and I almost wanted to ask her like she got swapped out or something. And then, back while I was jumping back into my rewatch, I, was, I heard the same pitch too, I was like, nope, that's her. 
and I found her rage to be very impressive, like, because, because I will say, like, I, I have to disagree with you, I don't think she was naive, because, I mean, you gotta remember when she started out, like, she jumped in with a party who didn't know they, what, exactly what they were doing, and of course suffered as a result, but I, I do think, like, she is able to dis to display her emotions very easily to relay what being an adventurous like what it pertains especially in I think I want to say episode 6 or so like especially with that scream because when she gets chewed out by the the the, the, the giant goblin like literally it was like oh my god like you could you could actually feel the emotion going into that performance and especially especially with the the moment in the last episode that was pretty badass i thought like the priestess was doing that of her own volition i mean but then you find out it was planned a little beforehand but you know you know the emotionality just it was it still stayed there and i i found that very impressive and i really want to hear hated and more things i probably will hear hated and more things that's all you really have to say. Well, I uh, I got a confession to make. Oh no! Um, Do we need to put you in a box? Was this was not the first thing I ever heard Hayden Davio in. I think I know what it might actually be, but go on. This is because that would be, and, you, and this actually, by uh, by extension, Noah. This is where you heard her first too. She was actually Kayana in Honey Pop. Oh, Kiana, that's oh. right. I forgot. Yeah, right. That, and so that's if a, you wanted, hmm. Yeah. That's a... Yeah. <laughs> oh, go ahead. That's a role. Um, but if you wanted to... <laughs> if yeah. you wanted an example of her more normal-sounding voice and and her making other noises as well, that's uh, that you can listen to her there. Uh, well, but, uh, I but really yeah, know. I was... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was actually... I'm very surprised that Hayden is able to make a voice like the priestess because the only other time I had ever heard her was in that game. And um, it sounds, in the game, she sounds very much more low registered. And, uh, and here she just, she, it's almost hard to tell it's the same person really. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you get used to it. Right. Now I think in the first few episodes, it was very jarring and I wasn't, all that fond of it but as the show goes on and the priestess does mature as a character i think hayden's performance definitely matures along with her and it matches up near the end it matches up almost perfectly um it's again we just have to treat it like a character in a role-playing game he starts out shaky and underdeveloped and by the end you're casting omni slash and killing everything in one hit so yeah, can, can I just say what probably one of the favorite things I like about her as the priestess is when she starts to chant the spells, not because of the filter, but because, like I said, the emotion going into it is like, Heavenly Mother, hear my prayers, kill these motherfuckers where they stand. Okay, that's pushed it a little far now. 
it would be just a little good, man. Come on. No, no, I get it. But, I mean, that's what the power it felt like. Like, I was expecting, you know, or pull out a Glock and go, and you will know my name is the Priestess when I lay my oh, vengeance upon you. Okay, do not give me that mental image right now, for the love of Look, God, Look, Hardy, Hardy reminded me of Honey Pop while talking about this character, okay? I'm going to put any image I want in your head. Well, to yeah. be fair, you reminded him of John Redcord, so it's, I consider <laughs> that even. comparable to each other. A porn game and a King of the Hill are not comparable to each other. A very good porn game, but a porn game nonetheless. I, I, I was going to say, you could use King of the Hill as a euphemism, but... Only you, Jamal. <sighs> Only you. Roots, at least it's not Andrew making stone puns. <laughs> you sound a this little bit true. jaded. Uh, Anyways, that's uh, that's all I have to say. So while we're here, I while we're here, let's go ahead and take one more dice roll, Noah. Alright, I've got everyone place your bets. Alright, double six. You know what oh, that so means? That's Twelve. Nat twenty. You know what that means? What'd you say? Net twenty. Net twenty. Oh, because they're a good yeah, one, they're right? they're both sixes, and those are the highest you can get with a Yahtzee dice. Oh wow! All right, net twenty. So that's uh, all the more appropriate that we go into our titular character, whose name we've been saying this entire time, and if you've made a drinking game of it, you're probably dead by now. We are finally going to talk about the one, the only, the Goblin Slayer. Yes. Goblin Slayer is a character who does not fit inside the mole of your typical D&D character. He uses garbage armor because it's effective. He steals, he uses the, the weapons of his slain enemies against them so that he doesn't have to resurrect breaking his own armor. He's just... He figures out ways of dispatching these goblins that most people wouldn't think. And he breaks the rules of any possible standard uh, D&D campaign by just sort of doing his own thing. There is no other character in this world, in this universe, exactly like him. And his reasons for doing what he does is because he is the lone survivor of a goblin attack on his village where his sister was murdered and violated and his made it his his mantra and his goal in life to take out every single goblin in the world that is his raison d'etre so playing the titular goblin slayer goblin slayer we have the one and only Brad Hawkins now you may have heard Brad Hawkins. He's been around Funimation for a long time, but he's never really played any major roles until now outside of Wolfwood in the Trigun Badlands Rumble, Badlands Rumble movie. Really? What What you yeah. may not know about Brad Hawkins if is you've that... You've been around in 1996. Yes. He was the male lead in the Tokusatsu revision of VR Troopers. Oh, he's oh, wow. also the voice of the Gold Zeo Ranger in Power Ranger Zeo. Right. And so check this out. When you had the redub for Trigon's ba- Trigon Badlands Rumble, you had both a former Power Ranger and a former VR Trooper fighting side by side. 
Whoosh. Yeah, this has been Fun Facts with Hari. <laughs> but anyways, anyways, now that we're down to our last character, uh, Roots, tell us, what did you think about the Slayer? Yeah, I, um, I actually kind of like how just absolutely fixated and single-minded he gets on just the act of killing goblins. He is like a walking encyclopedia of their anatomy and how, <clears throat> and, you know, how to properly dispatch said anatomy. Um, I like the fact that he just kind of... He kind of coldly interacts with characters at first, but then you see him slowly warm up to people around him as he, um... as he continues to fight alongside them. Um, I like the fact that Brad Hawkins kind of played him with sort of a, a, a stoic energy. He, uh, like I said, he, he treats everyone around him kind of coldly for the first couple of episodes, except for Cowgirl, because he's known her for years. But he, as he converses with everyone in his party and they go on adventures they go to Watertown they fight goblins just about everywhere the raid on the farm they kill a beholder they kill a beholder they... with a bag of flour <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. tell you how he does it because again you need to watch this show to see these incredible Final Destination style kills that Goblin Slayer pulls off. But I I really like Brad Hawkins's Brad Hawkins's performance. Sorry, I am a little bit tired right now, but All right. Well, we're almost yeah. done. Um I especially like his I like his interactions with the priestess as the course of the show goes on. Because I feel... Now, this may be a little bit of headcanon, but I kind of feel like he is, by the end of this show, starting to treat the priestess as sort of a little sister-type character to him. I see that as well. Yeah. And I... I I'm going to go a little bit more into this in Final Thoughts, but I really like the sort of family dynamic of the party and Goblin Slayer's interactions with them. So, thumbs up to Brad Hawkins. I hope to see a lot more out of him in Funimation or any anywhere else. doesn't even have to be anime. Like, I... More VR Troopers! <laughs> bring back VR Troopers. There you like, go. They made a, a new Power Rangers movie. Maybe they'll make a, a new big budget VR Troopers movie. No, it'll never happen. Duh. But I'll pass this on to Noah because I've I've said enough. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, well, um, so the, this character design, um, is of a younger character. Um, he kind he has that kind of traditional beachy voice. Um, but he, it gives him a little bit of extra growl. And it's not just because we're hearing everything come out of his helmet, which I, I do like the fact that the sound engineers did 
add in a, a little bit of an echo to uh, Brad's performance to give the sense that he was speaking like, you know, it's, it's not muffled entirely like this, but it, you know, it's just coming out of a, a tin hat, basically. It's kind of like what they did with um, uh, Alphonse in uh, the original Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, I wanted, I, I'm hoping in the Blu-ray they have like a shot of him in the booth with like the cereal bowl. <laughs> um but um but Brad's performance here is um is interesting because he doesn't have to do any lip flaps uh matching because we never see his lips moving. So the way that he portrays Goblin Slayer is kind of closer to a radio drama is the the way the feeling that I got out of this because he's he's serious He's, but he's not deadpan all the time. He's like, he's always plotting. It's like the wheels are always turning in his head, always contemplating how to get the goblins. Um, but he, and he doesn't really have much snark to him. Like, I kind of thought that with a character who's always in a helmet and is like the best of the best, I thought that they might go for a desert punk voice. Like, they may try to emulate Eric Vale's performance as desert punk. Um, but this is not that kind of character at all. This is a, this is not a, a fun, happy, post-apocalyptic world. This is, you know, more of a serious medieval kind of setting. And Brad's performance is, at times, it takes a little getting used to because it's very much, like, you can tell that he's adding something to his natural speaking voice. You know, he's down here and trying to give off that sense of seriousness that he has to him. It's fitting for the character, but it's it's kind of hard to empathize with. And I think this is why... I was turned off by the show a little bit because kind of going back to what you said, Roots, about how all a lot of the girls are kind of fawning on him. The show takes great strides to have characters tell us how great Goblin Slayer is. And I don't like shows that do that. I don't like any movie or show that does that, where there are lots of characters off to the sidelines telling us, you should like this character because I think he's a badass. And he is a badass. Like, he is the MacGyver of this universe. But he's not an empathetic character from the get-go, especially because he himself admits that he doesn't even view himself as fully human anymore because of how driven he is by his pursuit of killing goblins. For a a good reason, sure, but it it makes him a little hard to empathize with on our side. But Brad does give off the, the toughness of him, and when he has to soften up a little bit, like when the priestess is telling him, um, stop answering all your questions with um, just like one word answers. Like, I want to actually know what you're thinking. And he, he doesn't brush her off as, uh, you know, a silly companion. He's like, I'll try to work on that. Like, he's obviously thinking like, huh, this character means something to me. And maybe I am being a bit of us, you know, being too locked up in my pursuit. Maybe I should try to be a little bit nicer. So on that's, it's a very different kind of character than I'm used to from a shonen protagonist. Like he's, he's not really, that empathetic but for what the show is trying to go for for having a character who gradually you get to empathize with a little bit more this is pretty good it's it's the best kind of voice i think we could have gotten out of this so good job brad i hope to hear more vr troopers in the future jamal take your turn i don't know what kind of show you're watching though but well first off i because i'm kind of echoing his voice in my head I actually i I enjoyed Brad Hawkins as this character because going back to it between his voice in Zeo and his voice here, he puts on this uh, grizzled front because you know he's a wary adventurer who hunts goblins, 
and you can, it, it kind of expresses his tired to stay just a bit. But the thing about Goblin Slayer is this, I think Goblin Slayer ha is the one with the naivete that the priest is, because with him it's like, he kind of, he's oblivious except to one thing and one thing only, and when he sets his sights on something, he oh, sees absolutely. it through to the end. I, I agree with you 100% exactly. of the naivete of the Goblin Slayer. Jamal, when you exactly. said when you said that, I thought you were gonna say we're gonna be doing one thing and one thing only: killing Nazis. I mean, killing goblins. Please shut up. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I kind of have to disagree with you on on uh, how p people portray him. I mean, he the reason he doesn't have a snark is, you know, like he is again his naivete. He's just he's just pretty much focused on his goals, like kind of hard to explain but I don't think you're right in how people say like how 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 good he is and stuff I if it's a matter of fact it's kind of the opposite from what I've seen because there were a couple of times where a couple people talked about him and kind of place but there were kind of a couple of times when people talked about him and kind of antagonized him a little bit because I've seen the witch and the sword maiden talk about like you know it's just gonna use you up and then leave you behind it's like that that kind of that kind of thing spoke volumes to me because that describes you know Goblin Slayer just kind of keeps to himself like pretty much a lot of his character we get the characterizations from the other characters in the show and of course his backstory for when he talks about how he was traumatized as a kid because you know if you see the show you know but. I, I don't I don't think uh, you, you know and even he he points himself out and even he points it out himself like towards the end that he started to get some clarity as an adventurer because either because his goal has been achieved or he realizes that not everything has to be about goblins you know and I guess his party helped him to make him realize that and Brad kind of manages to convey that perfectly it's like. Yeah, I mean, we don't hear a lot of Brad Hawkins. I mean, he's been around for a long time. Long time. I would like to hear him more stuff, but I I mean, he could be doing some other stuff, too. Maybe he's doing stage acting. Maybe he's doing martial arts. Who knows? Because, I mean, the man was in Power Rangers CEO, for God's sakes, and VR Troopers. So it could be it could be any number of things he's been doing that kind of keeps him away from voice acting. Mm. You know I mean? What... Just like the Goblin Slayer, when you dedicate it to something, you kind of see it through. That's really all you have to say. So I'm going to say this. Um, I don't know how many uh, gamers we have here, but did anyone else get some Solid Snake kind of vibe from this performance? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, like Metal Gear. A weapon to surpass the Goblin Slaying. <laughs> Yeah, he gave me some very distinct David Hayter vibes all the way through. And David Hayter is one of my favorite actors, so can't complain about that. But I just like how he's he's not exactly deadpan, but he's very focused. And yeah. so he has, I mean, let's be honest, he has no sense of humor. His humor was scared out of him when he was a kid. Um, and so he... I like how Brad plays him as this sort of expert about one thing and yet complete imbecile regarding everything else. And 
because as far as we know, the Goblin Slayer is only focused on one thing. He's not. He's not into girls because. In order to heal him, they literally have a woman sleep naked right next to him, and he pays no mind. Um, he's not into that. He's not into coin. Uh, money is of no consequence to him. All he wants to do is just kill goblins and protect the people that he cares about. And as the show goes along, I appreciate how he sort of opens up as a character. He's like, hey, baby, there's more in this world for me than other than killing these little green bastards. Um, yeah, and I think it's 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 interesting to hear Brad's performance develop over the course of the show as he goes from this one-note killing machine to gradually opening up more and more as this character, even though, for all intents and purposes, he might as well just be the self-insert for the viewer because he has no face and we have nothing else to identify but, but yeah, I just I, I really dig the the whole the whole Metal Gear sounding like David Hayter's Solid Snake voice that Brad gives him, and uh, and yeah, I I would like to see more of Brad Hawkins in the future, regardless of what kind of role that he plays. Yeah. So, and with that, let us bring our game to a close with our final thoughts, and now. This is where things get uncomfortable. Roots, uh, would you like to start, or? Yeah, sure. I can, um, unless somebody else wants to go first, because I. Go. Well, roll for initiative, Noah. Uh, it says. Q. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't, I'm a noob. I don't know how this game works. Go, Roots, go! Alright, alright. So, listeners, let's talk normie filters for a second. This was a term thrown around at the beginning of Goblin Slayer's broadcast. A lot of people used it as a defense for the first episode and the, um... Well, let's not beat around the bush. There was a rape scene. There was a rape scene mm -hmm. that played the rape with pretty severe titillation. And people defended this scene as this sort of grim dark keep the keep the normal anime watchers out. But let's be real here. You kind of need normies in order to make a show a success. And by pushing them out through these tactics that, let's be honest, are gatekeeping, uh, you are preventing the show from reaching its maximum potential of people interested in it. And, you know, you can entirely skip the first episode if you want. And even if you do, the show is entirely enjoyable if you like the sort of darker, edgier fantasy series. Like, if episode one makes you uncomfortable, by all means, do not watch it. It's okay. You're not any less of a fan of a, of a show if you have to move beyond a part of it 
because it makes you uncomfortable. That's... That is something that is perfectly okay. And you should not be embarrassed to have to say that, hey, this made me uncomfortable. This... I have stuff from my childhood that this brings back, and I don't like it, so... I would like to not participate in this particular part of it. And, like, we as fans need to be better about letting people into our circle. And that means people whose circumstances are different than our own. So, that's... That little ramble right there was my thoughts on the whole... Episode 1, Controversy. But, um, as for the dub itself, it took a little while to get itself going. But, I think the the dub of Goblin Slayer is a worthwhile experience. I think that the performances of the show from its relatively green cast... Um, evolve with over the course of the series and I'm actually kind of curious to see the uncut home video dub to see if any of the retakes continue that progression but I I would highly recommend checking out the dub for Goblin Slayer and in particular because this little group of adventurers ends up becoming a family that you know they quip with one another they bust each other's chops they're like <laughs> they enjoy each other's company and this going back to what I what I said at the beginning of final thoughts it's kind of a shame that sort of the controversy around the controversy of episode 1 kind of detracted people from coming back around to check the show out. Because it actually does despite that one moment of absolute let's just try and bring people in with completely inappropriate fan service like this is a show with some form of heart. So, I do actually recommend checking it out. And if, you know, scenes of rape make you uncomfortable, it is perfectly okay to skip the first episode. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And with that, I will pass it on to Noah. That, that was very well said, Roots. Thank you. Um, I, I won't really go into the controversy of episode one, because I think what Roots said covers all of it but i do want to say that what the show reminded me of more than anything else like it didn't remind me of um of another isekai show or any of these other medieval set shows goblin slayer reminded me most of elfin lead it's this uh mid 2000s show about that also had a really controversial first episode that started out with some very gratuitous fan service and some intense gore as well um which was indicative of the whole show and Goblin Slayer kind of reminds me of that because it's got problematic elements to it that 
veer towards making people un- can make people uncomfortable. And at times, I don't think it quite questions the trope that it's keeping up with. Um, the complete dehumanization of the goblins uh, does have its roots in some like very uncomfortable tropes that, uh, going back to the Lord of the Rings comparison, like has that that element of dehumanizing people. That part, I don't really feel very comfortable. I, and I don't think they question that very much just because they're going along with the D&D rules of like, we, we need a continuous bad guy in this show. So they picked a fantasy trope. But as far as the dub itself, it's a dub that does take a little while to get going. And I think that's because the show itself also takes a little while. Uh, Jamal, you did bring up a good point that uh, the show, the characters do uh, kind of critique Goblin Slayer uh, but it comes a little bit later in the show. In the first couple episodes, we hear more of that over, like, gratifying, like, he's so great, he's so wonderful kind of uh, praising to him. Because I think the show was still very much on that uh, male power fantasy uh, feel for it that got a lot of people very interested in it. After those couple episodes, we really started to get more humanization. We got more um, creative battles than just slashing people. Like, that entire scene with the... The, the flower and the the way that the characters use their powers with each other that's an amazing use of of uh, group dynamics in a show that i've not really seen very much done before and the dub itself does hold up to those tropes without being very distracting like i think this is something that you could easily you could watch either dub or sub and get the same experience out of it if it makes you uncomfortable that is something that um the first episode does unfortunately botch because they recreate kind of the same atmosphere of that first episode. They do create the same intensity of it in episode eight, I believe it is. That is where it fits after we've gotten used to the characters in the world and we're a little more prepared for it. But throwing us right into the beginning of it with you know an absolute shock value didn't really do the show any favors. And I am sorry that a white fox kind of lost a lot of the viewer base because of that controversy. It got people talking about the show, not so much uh, people watching it. So, as far as dub goes, definitely uh, worthwhile listen to, and really satisfying to watch near the end. If you can get over some of the more uncomfortable parts of the male fantasy portion, of the, the male power fantasy, it builds to a very satisfying conclusion that I don't see in a whole lot of shows. So, it's a very mixed bag for me. But overall, more on the positive side than the negative. Alright, I guess it's my turn. I mean, I've made my jokes here and there, but I'm going to be serious with you viewers. Uh, The show itself, as everybody alluded to, episode one had his fair share of problems. I mean, I'm not one for shock shock and awe, but... If you've been, if you if you're familiar with say out of the fight pan into the fire, the the episode just kind of takes you in all sorts of directions that you obviously not comfortable. Obviously not gonna be comfortable watching. It. I mean, at multiple points, I mean we've seen rape, we've seen murder, and at one or two points, even voyeurism. I mean, I alluded to a lemonade joke earlier, but they kind of use that to describe the shock of. A major character, whereas I would be okay with just looking at her, at her screaming face. I mean, you did not need to go that far, White Fox. You didn't need to go that far. 
And I'll be honest with you, it almost happened again at another point. I'm not going to say where. But if if you feel uncomfortable or you know you feel you, it, unco- you're going to feel uncomfortable, skip episode one entirely. The only thing you're going to miss really is how the priestess and goblin slayer meet up. I mean, they meet up again in the next episode, but that's not the point here. What I I just wish sometimes you know when a production company chooses to animate uh, source material, they really have to be careful where they're going because I know uh, I I know there was one moment I didn't bring this up with the high elf archer and if I'm correct and if I'm not we can cut this part out entirely but if I'm correct there was a moment where she. While they were in the labyrinth, she somehow went into a mad killing frenzy with the goblins. But they never animated that in the show. And it kind of disappointed some people. But other than that, like... Again, shock and awe and maybe slight voyeurism is not your thing. Do not watch episode one. I mean, hell, you could even avoid the show entirely if you want to, but... The only reason I'm telling you to stick around to watch the show is this. The dub is very solid. The dub is very unique. I enjoyed the show because of the dub. And while yes, there may be points to make me uncomfortable. I mean, I mean come on. Let's be real. There must have been at least a time in your life where you haven't watched an anime that didn't make you uncomfortable at some point. I mean, we all have. You know, that's what that's what it means to be an anime fan, you know. Sometimes you have to take the good with the bad. But, again, I cannot stress this enough. If you are uncomfortable, do not watch episode one. Because, yes, like Noah said, it did have people talking, just not the way you'd expect. But other than that, it is a very good dub. You should give it a watch. If and when you get the chance, I I cannot say any more good things about it than I have already said. Take it away, Hardy. Yeah. Um, I cannot stress this enough. I think uh, we all pretty much hit the nail on the head. If you are bothered by images of rape and sexual assault, you might want to give a pass on this show, at least the first episode. Uh, there are times during the show where it brings it back up, but the first episode is by far the worst part. I think there's yeah. parts in episode... Is it three or four? I believe it's four. Yeah, it's that three what? or four, and then the finale. And the finale is kind of... It goes into a flashback scene, which is very, very visceral. Um, so very. if you're going to watch this show... Just be aware those scenes are in it. If they make you feel uncomfortable, by all means, please feel free to just either skip episode one or don't watch the show at all. There are plenty of other anime for you to enjoy that don't contain scenes like that. That having been said, if you've have ever watched anything like Berserk, this is pretty much child's play in comparison. Um, so if you can handle... That kind of stuff. It's, if it doesn't bother you, then by all means, check out Goblin Slayer. I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. 
I initially just checked it out because of the controversy to see if it was bad, as I had heard. And week by week, I found that I was actually rather enjoying the show. I didn't care for those scenes, of course, but I don't think the rest of the show... I, I don't think those scenes damage the rest of the show and how enjoyable it can be as if you're into dark fantasy, because there are definite moments of levity and, uh, and, and, and comedy. And there are so many other things that make up for those, those few and far between problematic scenes. And like everyone else has said, the dub is done very well. And so if, if it's not your thing, that's perfectly fine. But if you can handle it, I would definitely recommend checking out the, gov- the dub for Goblin Slayer. Now, if you would like to watch the dub for Goblin Slayer, it is available on Funimation now. Uh, I know the subversion is available on Crunchyroll. Um, they have a two-week free trial, which you can use. If you decide that you do not want to continue after the two-week free trial, you definitely need to cancel, else your credit card will be charged. However, you'll probably just let it go and enjoy the multitude of anime that they have over there, both in English and, again, in Japanese as well. Uh, Now, before we sign off, we do have to list our wonderful patrons from our Patreon account. Uh, We have our $5 patrons, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands, and our $10 patrons, Brad Mitchell, Carly Leistakow, Jacob Wilson, J2 aka Jared, Marissa Linty, and Wee B. If you would like to join our Patreon, uh, we will include a link down below. We are also on Twitter at Dub Talk Podcast. I believe we also have an Instagram, a Twitch, and a coffee account uh, if you would like to check us out there. Uh, if you would like to follow... All right, let's break it up. Uh, Roots. Yeah, um, if you'd like to find me on social media, um, you know, <clears throat> either talk about general fandom things that I happen to like, or, you know, yell at me for my final thoughts for this episode. Um, you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. I mainly just retweet cute animal pics and, as aforementioned, talk about general fandom stuff. I kind of into uh, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance right now. And I am currently in the process of writing some reviews. I'm not sure where exactly I'm going to put them at the moment. I I am considering going back to the fandom posts, but I'm trying to figure out if I'm you know, ready to go back to a major publication. So, there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, Dwarf Bard Noah, what does, uh, where can we find you at? Ah, uh, you're, you're so funny. <laughs> um, so, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Noah Clue. Um, post uh, commentary about the world of animation and pictures of my children. And to uh, close this off here, I would just like to say, uh, in, because Aman always does like a Dust Sealed song you've probably never heard of before, I'm going to end this off with a Dust Sealed cartoon you've probably never heard of before. Oh, wow. And, okay. Um, in, in, uh, because we just heard about a dark, serious cartoon, I'm going to recommend a happy cartoon. I highly recommend you look up 
La Joie de Vivir from 1934. It's a French-American-British cartoon that is just two women dancing around the world. And I can't really describe the look of it, but really, if you want something happy and fun going, it is really wonderful work from 1934. The, the medium had only been around for 30 years at that point. So go check out La Joie de Vivir. All right, and Jamal, where can we find you at? Uh, you can find me at Jabstar529 on Twitter. You can find me at Jabstar1 on YouTube. I hope to venture into solo podcasting. I'm also trying to work on a little, another little project of my own, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And by the way, Noah, I believe it's pronounced Le Joie de Vivre. Thank you. I'm not French. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Also, I thought you were going to go for Heidi Girl of the Alps. That's another anime that's all about cheese. I still owe owe you something for that, by the way. Just because you didn't know that Yodeling was from the Heidi anime and Roots did doesn't mean that you can be mad at me for it. Just be glad I didn't say the sound of music. That would have been viable. To be fair, you did give us one of the single best reaction faces imaginable, Jabal. It, it was it was very beautiful. <laughs> All right, and if you want to find me for any reason or whatever, you can find me at on Twitter at Spaceman Hardy. Um, I do a lot of shit posting and retweet artwork, and I need to post more goats. I haven't been posting goats a lot. You do need um, to post more goats. Yeah, yeah. There's too many goats. But uh, I'm also a forum moderator over at the Funimation forums and the Discord. Uh, if you want to come over there, hang out with me and, uh, and get in a little trouble. Uh, but for now, I believe, Fair Adventurers, our game has come to a close. Yes. Yes. All right, uh, before we go. Cleaning up the Mountain Dew cans, who gets the deposit? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we go, Dungeon Master, uh, two more things I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably by the time this episode goes up, Goblin Slayer will be out on Blu-ray already, if I'm correct. That's right. It comes out yeah. October 29th. And because we've been talking about role-playing and so for the last two hours, uh, happy Halloween, y'all. Stay safe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go go yes. get you that candy. Yeah. Go find the one person who's handing out edibles. <laughs> 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 you just know you know that's what witch is handing out yes and on behalf of the rest of the dub talk podcast i bid you adieu you know. uh, aloha <laughs> keep it rolling otaku on devas yeah get out of my swamp <laughs> <laughs> That's the wrong race. Sai no me de kimaru yona, sanko